This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in daily sports talk. I'm D.A., and let's start in San Francisco, where the offseason's going to be an interesting one. They should get Jimmy Garoppolo back healthy, but how about the emergence of young Nick Mullins? In spot duty this year, he's looked really good. Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin joined Damon Bruce on 95-7 The Game in San Francisco and said right now there's a lot of high hopes for the young man. Put a valiant effort out there against the Bears last week, trying to make it three in a row, but the better team won out. Chicago won, also helped the the 49ers. Now they can't finish worse than the fifth pick in the draft, which we like around here. I tell you, Nick Mullins, though, he has been a bright spot in a year where you're looking for bright spots, and it's been a long season. What Shanahan's been able to do with him it has just really been remarkable, and it's it's completely absolved Kyle, I think, of his win and loss record, which next year is officially going to matter. But in the meantime, he can coach him up. I think that's the theme of the year. Even in bad times, Shanahan can coach an offense. He, he can coach, man, and, and, and I, I, I love the guy. I really do. I love the way he works. I love how great he is, and, and you, can, you, can, you, can, you can extrapolate from what you see now to when he get his roster where he wants it, where he will be. You know what I mean? He could when he gets that roster to where he wants it. That that could be man. That could be an incredible, incredible situation for San Francisco, for the city. Certainly, I know for him because I, I find him to be a fascinating, phenomenal coach. And and here here's, here's the big question: What do you do now with Nick Mullins when Jimmy G gets back? Because he is high commodity. Let me tell you something. High commodity. When I was doing that Showtime, when I was doing Showtime Monday, and it was the first time I had done Showtime in about a year inside the NFL. You know, I used to do it all the time, and I and I hadn't talked with Boomer Sison and Phil Sims in a while, and I, you know, I, I sat and talked with those guys. Man, they, they were like me. They were like Mike. Oh yeah, we love Nick Mullins. We we like, this is an incredible job. So now, do you keep him as a backup, or do you trade that great asset? To bring in more assets for 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 when Jimmy G gets back, I mean, so so you you, you just talked about you got the fifth pick of the draft, uh, and you can't do no worse than the fifth pick of the draft. You don't have any. There's not a great quarterback class coming out, so that means the Mullins can bring you some great great assets. There are, there are people will be willing to come off some come off something for a kid that played the way he played this season. It's going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Well, we all saw Nick Mullins actually move the offense pretty well, and I think all of us, including myself, very impressed by him at times this season. Except here is my 
Here is my warning to Michael Irvin. All of the guys that you just mentioned that are really high in Mullins are just ex-players and analysts. They're not coaches. They're not GMs. They're not owners. They're not the guys actually making the picks. So it's nice that a TV set, a bunch of guys that used to play, said they really like Nick Mullins. That's not going to guarantee him a starting job next year. From the Niners, I bring Mullins back as a backup because Garoppolo is my number one. And nice to have a young guy like Mullins at number two. I don't think right now Nick Mullins is pulling in a haul of draft picks that you can rebuild with at this point in time. In Boston, the questions about whether the New England Patriots are at the end of the run are incessant. And they should end up locking up a bye with a win over the New York Jets on Sunday. They should have a home game and a bye week. And who knows, maybe find themselves again in the AFC Championship game. But everybody is wondering, since the Patriots have not looked like the Patriots this year, is this nearing the end? Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, joined WEEI in Boston. And the question is, will the Patriots move on from Tom Brady if Tom Brady doesn't look like his normal self? Look, I, Tom Brady hasn't been the same guy in recent weeks. The question is, is a diminished Tom Brady still better than most other options out there? And for now, the answer is still yes. And Hey, Tom Brady playing in 2019. I, I I don't see why the Patriots wouldn't want him. The real question is going to be when his contract expires after 2019, where, where does he go? What does he do? Do the Patriots ever get to the point where they treat him the same way they treat anybody else and the same way they've treated pretty much everyone else for the last 20 years? When you can no longer bring it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. We're going to make a business decision to move on to somebody else. And, you know, I, I, I still continue to believe that that day is going to come where the Patriots make the decision to move forward before Brady makes the decision to leave football. And then he's going to have to ask himself whether he wants to go start over with a new team. Well, the other guy that's obviously tied to what's going to happen in the future is Gronk. And he had some interesting comments yesterday, sort of doubling down, or not doubling down, but making sure everyone understood that he is engaged. He is going to try very hard and he loves football, at least through the playoffs. What was your take, number one, on, on how he's been playing? Also, his reaction yesterday and what you see his future bearing. Yeah, you know what? If they gave me a helmet and shoulder pads, I'd be very engaged, and I'd try very hard as well, but I wouldn't be very good. And I think that's kind of where we are, and it's, it's a hard reality. It's tough to see it happen. Uh, you know, somebody said the other day, it looks like Willie Mays playing center field for the New York Mets Oof. back in the early 70s, whenever that was. I mean, he's just not the guy that he was. Running back to the huddle. We were watching the games at NBC on Sunday, and I said, he looks like he's lost a step running back to the huddle. It's just he's not the guy that he was. And whether it's an accumulation of injuries, whether deep down he really doesn't believe in it anymore, I, I, I firmly believe, firmly believe that he would have retired if the Patriots had beaten the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Remember that press conference afterward yep. when they asked him about those rumors, and he said, I don't know how you found out about that, which kind of confirms there's a that to have found out about. And uh, I think he's got family members that are trying to get him to walk away because of concerns over head trauma, and he can make a ton of money just being wrong. I'd be surprised if he's back next year. He's not the same guy this year. He's not the threat that he was. He's not that guy that constantly has to be double-covered. He's not as important to the offense as he used to be. And, you know, we always hear Bill Belichick gets rid of a guy one year too early instead of one year too late. Boy, it sure feels like he waited one year too late with Gronk. The only, the only, and this gets back to the same issue with, with Brady. Even a diminished Gronk is still better than most of your other options. 
and maybe that's why for, uh, Belichick ultimately decided to bring Gronk back for 2018. But I see, I'd be surprised if he's back for 2019. Do you think uh, Gronk retires from football, Mike, or does he play elsewhere in 2019? I, I think that he would retire before he would play somewhere else, just because he can if, if if it's done, it's done. And I think he's sufficiently self-aware, even though he comes off as a doofus at times. I think some of that's calculated. I think he's very self-aware. And I think he'll know that it's time to move on. And I think he will make almost as much money doing whatever it is that he's going to do, just being Gronk in a variety of contexts and settings. And uh, you get a good business manager and you can maximize the earning potential for Gronk going around doing Gronk things. And, uh, you know, that would be a lot safer than continuing to play football. That question about the business side of the Patriots revolving around number 12 and their decision there is truly fascinating. I don't think they will ever coldly or ruthlessly cut bait with Brady. You know, they could have moved on from Brady and gone to Jimmy Garoppolo. We were just talking about the San Francisco 49ers future. They did not. And I think a lot of that had to do with Belichick maybe wanted to go the business route and the Kraft family wanted to go the personal route. The personal route was their relationship with Brady is so strong. He means so much to that franchise. One of the most beloved athletes, obviously, ever in Boston that they're not willing to cut cold with him, unlike everybody else. And so I think the same thing will happen. I do not think that they will ever allow this to become ruthless business with Brady. I think he'll always be treated with those kid gloves. The Gronk question is a is a significant one, and I don't think Gronk comes back next season. I'm with Mike Florio. I think he just ends up retiring and not even playing with another team. I think this is it for Gronk. Mike Lombardi, former NFL executive, joined Mad Radio in Houston. Sports Radio 610 with Mike Meltzer, Seth Payne, and Paul Gallant. And the Kansas City Chiefs are the ultimate X factor right now. They can look dazzling and brilliant when Patrick Mahomes is slinging it all over the yard. But they've lost two straight games, and Mahomes at the end of these games hasn't been flawless enough to pick up the slack for a, a defense with a lot of holes in it. And so what about the Chiefs? Can they rebound after this two-game losing streak? Can they be dangerous in the postseason? They can do anything on offense. They're like a video game. Um, But the defense has been lacking at times this year. How far can they go realistically? You know, that's a great question. I think the Chiefs are, are a unique team in the sense that they're not much different than some of the Patriots teams that went to the Super Bowl. They were much better in, in, on defense. They were better on defense, not much better. But I think what Kansas City has to do is learn how to pace the game. I think, they, you know, the Kansas City's like the fat guy at the buffet line, can't wait to eat. They just can't wait to score. You know, they just like – and they get it so fast, and then their defense can't hold any of it. And they never get control of the game. I think the key for the Chiefs in the playoffs is find a way to get control in the game. Work the clock down. Limit the possessions of the defense. Limit the time on the field that your defense is on. If you can play 25 minutes of defense if you're the Chiefs, you'll probably win the game. And I think that's what they have to do. It's all about pace and style for the Chiefs. But when they get into these ABA games where the scores, everybody scored on every possession, they've lost those games. Believe it or not, they've lost it. They lost it in New England. They've lost it in Seattle. They've lost it in, in Los Angeles. They don't win those games. Where they win games is when they can control the pace and build leads and then keep the clock moving. You know, uh, I think they're always going to be linked just because they were in the same draft and, and they have similarities in their styles of play. But I was going to see if you could compare and contrast Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson because I think Deshaun was kind of on the path to doing some of what Mahomes has done this year before that injury last year and then, you know, had it cut short. 
I think anybody right now would say Mahomes is the better player just because of his body of work. But what do you think about those two? And, and uh, maybe is is it a neck and neck type race? I think it's all about fit, right? And I think that the, where where Mahomes is, obviously he fits well, and he's probably going to be the MVP of the league. And so, you know, what Watson can do, and I think Watson's limited by some of the things that's around him. I mean, look at the skill players on this Kansas City team. I mean, they're really talented. Kelsey, Tyreek Hill is one of the best receivers in football. If he's not the best, he's in the top three in terms of the verticalness to take the top off the defense, which opens up a lot of different areas. And the fact that they're able to make these plays in the passing game, but look, the Chiefs' defense isn't very good, so they've got to do some things offensively to compensate for that. I think it's really close. I think Mahomes, I liked Watson better than Mahomes coming out. I, 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 you know, it's always hard for me with those Texas Tech quarterbacks in that system. Mahomes is unique skill set, but I think Watson's going to win his share of games. I think Watson's going to win his share of titles because I think the character of the kid will always come out, and I think the team will always win as long as he's under center. Man, is that a visual? The Chiefs are like a fat guy at a buffet line. Kansas City's like the fat guy at the buffet line. Can't wait to eat. You know, do we do we need that imagery with Andy Reid wearing red and yellow like a McDonald's outfit on the sideline? Is that sensitive? Is that compassionate? I don't think the Chiefs are ever going to get away from allowing Patrick Mahomes to make big plays through the air. They have just too many weapons there, and... With Kareem Hunt gone for the season, I just think that they're never going to be patient enough with the run and not want to rely on a big play guy and perhaps the NFL MVP in Mahomes. And so you could be waiting and wanting for them to be more deliberate with the offense. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to sink or swim with Mahomes' arm and more specifically, the defense. If the Chiefs' defense is dreadful like it has been the last couple weeks and at times this season, it's not going to be a very long stay in January for Kansas City. The NFL offseason is always about trying to find that next quarterback. And so this NFL draft obviously comes into focus once again. Justin Herbert from Oregon decides he's going to come back and play for the Ducks. That takes the number one quarterback in the upcoming draft off the board. What does that mean for the rest of the class? Perhaps it's Kyler Murray choosing football over baseball coming out of Oklahoma winning the Heisman. But what about the other guys? The Will Greers of the world. The Daniel Jones of the world. Where do those guys fit in? Well, Dane Brugler studies this stuff. And for those that say that this is a quarterback lousy draft and you can't find your franchise guy in it, he joined the guys at 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and said, not so fast. Dude with a big win, Daniel Jones with a big game. This is not a new name to you and people who have studied the draft, but because he's the quarterback of a program that's not a marquee program, it's maybe a new name to a lot of people, but this is a guy who I guess could be the first quarterback off the board. Will certainly get strong consideration for a first round pick. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's a redshirt junior, former walk-on who, uh, under the tutelage of Coach Cutcliffe, uh, who of course coached the, the Mannings back in their college days, uh, has really developed into a guy that has uh, attracted NFL attention. Uh, he's a good-sized kid, about six four and a half, two hundred twenty-five pounds. Really good athlete. Doesn't have an elite arm, but he has plenty enough arm strength to make all the throws. Very cerebral passer, uh, and you see him. You see the Manning, uh, the mannerisms uh, in the pocket with his play fakes, the pumps, everything going on. Uh, very smart guy. I think that he's going to go to the the combine. Uh, and, you know, just really impress during the interview process, and that's going to be a, a key to his draft uh, draft stock. And with Justin Herbert, 
from Oregon going back to school for his senior year, uh, who he would have been a top five pick, the first quarterback drafted, that really helps a player like Daniel Jones, who uh, had a chance to go uh, in the first round. And now the question is just how high could he go top 20, top 10? Uh, we'll see what Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, the quarterback, what he decides to do if he enters the draft. I think he is the favorite to be the first quarterback drafted. But Daniel Jones, Drew Locke from Missouri, these are the first-round quarterbacks, uh, at least the guys that will comp- be competing for the first round this year. So not a lot of uh, maybe name brands, maybe like last year when we had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold in the top ten. But, uh, you know, these are still some talented quarterbacks that uh, plenty of quarterback-needy teams around the league are be paying attention to. When you have guys like Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott pop up in the second, third, or fourth rounds, it's true. You don't have to be near the top of the draft in the first round to get your guy, but it's a lot easier. And I'm just not convinced that of any of these QBs coming into the draft that they are second, third, or fourth round guys that end up being starting quarterbacks and end up being stars. I think that's a really big leap to make on anybody. And I look at this quarterback draft and say, you don't want to be sifting through these pebbles trying to find your diamond in the rough. Dick Vermeil has won a Super Bowl. He also formerly coached the Philadelphia Eagles. He's still beloved in the city of brotherly love. He joined WIP Radio and said what he saw and what he has seen over the last couple of weeks from Doug Peterson, now with Nick Foles in there for Carson Wentz, reminded him of last year's Super Bowl run. Last week's game was a masterpiece. A masterpiece in coaching, game plan, preparation, quarterback execution, just in every game, game day play calling was a masterpiece. I think that game was equivalent to the Minnesota Viking game last year and the Super Bowl. They just did a beautiful job of beating a very good defensive football team by preparation and execution. Would Carson Wentz been able to do the same thing? I think so. Yes, I do think so. Uh, maybe he would have thrown one pass incomplete that that Nick threw complete, and maybe Nick would have thrown one incomplete that Carson threw complete. But uh, I, I think that game, and over the last few weeks, they played like a caliber playoff team. The difference, I don't know. Personally, I think they started getting the ball downfield to the big guy, Jeffries. And, and you know, the great thing about him, he, you can throw it to him when he's covered. You know, and that's the thing about big receivers. They're usually not wide open, but they're big and they catch the ball in the crowd anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, the little guys separate and they don't have to be in the crowd, but the big guys do. And he, he's made spectacular plays. I, I think overall offensively they've given people more opportunity to make those kind of plays downfield. I haven't documented that or statistically applied it to any breakdown, but I, I get that feeling. I think they, they've just been going downfield more. Uh, Dick, you know, since you brought up the Houston game, I have to ask you something very specific about that. When they were down a single point, they were once up 13 points, and they found themselves down a point uh, at their own 10-yard line, two-minute drill. When Nick Foles took that shot from Clowney right to the chest from the helmet, and he was writhing in pain, and he left the game, there was a collective sigh from everyone. Oh, my goodness, this is how the season's going to end. Nick Foles is out. You're going to have to rely on essentially your third-string quarterback to drive you most of the field to get you in field goal range. But to see him miss a single play and come back in knowing that shot that he took, knowing that he's he is definitely, you know, that he's injured, what does that do for the players around him and for the coaching staff? Well, 
Well, you know, I, I think it's a motivational factor. It's a respect factor. You know, that same thing, the helmet rule was originated when Ron Jaworski got hit by a, a defensive lineman's helmet from the Chicago Bears when he lowered his helmet and put him out in a very similar situation, put him out and he came back in and played. Right. I've seen it done before. Uh, and the rule was originated, I think, after that play. But I, I just think it inspires everybody. And they walk. They say it to the film. That's a tough sob, you know. And he is tough, and he's proved that. And uh, the thing I think we've got to give credit to Nick for is he now is taking advantage of all of his experience. He's got a lot more experience than Carson Wentz. He's been in more game situations. He's been hit more often. He's done all these things. He's been he's been in, on terrible teams. He's been on Super Bowl winning team. And I think all his experience is paying off for him right now with great poise. Dick, when you think about the future of Nick Foles and his career, we know it's probably not going to be here with the Eagles because of Carson Wentz and the $20 million option the Eagles have in his contract probably doesn't fit in next year, even for him to come back here as a backup. So he's probably going to move on after the season. You've been around a lot of quarterbacks. You were around one in Kurt Warner who got started and really his career took off at the same age Nick kind of is now. You mentioned that experience. What do you expect out of Nick Foles wherever he lands, let's say for the next handful of years? I expect him to play in, in a top 10 quarterback caliber level in the National Football League for some team, as long as he is on a good football team with a good offensive scheme. Quarterbacks are victims many times, victims of, of teams that don't have a good enough offensive line or the, the, the offensive scheme has never been a top 10 type offensive scheme. And you look, offensive schemes in themselves are very important. You look at Andy Reid's uh, protégés. All their offenses, where, where they go, they take a scheme with them, and then they add their own profile and personality to it. But uh, if he goes to the right place, he can take them back to a Super Bowl. Wow, calling it a masterpiece. Vermeil knows a little bit about masterpieces. And I'll tell you, I wonder if Doug Peterson isn't more comfortable using the skill set of Nick Foles. I know that Foles does his own thing. But maybe there's something that's a little bit more patient, a little bit more balanced, maybe a little less quarterback reliant, and that Peterson takes advantage of that because there's no doubt the coaching and the scheme feels a lot better over the last two years, at least after Wentz got hurt last year in the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, and then again what we saw on Sunday against the Houston Texans. Some of that is Foles magic, but a lot of that has to be also attributed to the coaching staff and it's very weird considering all of this season there's been criticisms of the coaching staff and the scheme of the play calling when Wentz was in, but that went out the window when Foles has been in. And finally, the national championship in college football. We've got two semifinalists that will be decided on Saturday, and one of those is going to be perhaps the Alabama Crimson Tide. They've got to take on the Oklahoma Sooners, and it could be a battle of the QBs. And the question is, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, how healthy is he going into this game a semifinal game to feed into the national championship game. The voice of the Crimson Tide, Eli Gold, joined 92.9 The Game in Atlanta to weigh in on what he felt was coming from Tua's health status in this semifinal playoff game. Eli, a two-part question for you here. Uh, one, what is the status of Tua and his ankle? And two, uh, how do these suspensions affect Alabama at all, if any? Uh, the first off for Tua, he, he looked fine in practice yesterday. Um, you know, he says he's 85, 90 percent now. Um, 
I don't per eye to my eyes. And again, I'm as far, you know me, John, I'm as far from a world-class athlete as is humanly possible, I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, he, to me, he looks just fine. I don't see any any drop-off whatsoever. And I'm not just saying that because we're on the air. He looks fine. Uh, I see him around the hotel. There's no hint of a limp. Uh, he, he's doing just fine. As far as the uh, offense, as far as the the three fellows who were suspended, uh, you know, the only one of, of significance uh, is Deontay Brown. You know, of the other two, one guy played like five plays, and one guy hasn't played at all uh, this year. So that's uh, the, the so you're going up on the offensive line back with Lester Cotton, who started earlier this season, was then replaced by Brown, and has now come back uh, in the next man up, if you will, as uh, to return to his old starting role. We talked about it on the talk show last night uh, with Coach Saban, and he said Lester has learned a lot uh, of what he needs to do and what he wasn't doing and so on. Uh, you know, I guess the common, the, the, the straight answer would be, you know, if he was better than Deontay Brown, he would have been starting all season. So they, there might well be a bit of a drop-off there. But you are going back to a guy who started the first handful of games. And, you know, however he played, he played well enough for Alabama to win those games. So, uh, you know, I don't know how huge of a factor uh, that's going to be. I, I, I don't expect it's going to be massive. But, you know, anytime you lose your starter, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not good. Tua might not be walking with a limp. He might look fine in practice, but there's something about this that definitely worries me about Tua's status, considering how he looked in that SEC title game. Let's face it, if Tua had started the entire game and played the entire game without getting hurt, then they don't win that game. I mean, they needed Jalen Hurts to come in and do what he did. So in my estimation, I don't think we're out of the woods on Tua looking injured or hobbled or less than 100% in this game. And remember, they're going to have to make some fireworks fly because Oklahoma can put up points with the best of them. Oklahoma has scored nearly 50 points per game. Don't be surprised if Nick Saban has a quick hook on Tua if he does look dinged up. And that is obviously a storyline going into this game. That is the best of your sports radio. December the 28th. This has been Around the Dial with your host, D.A. We'll see you on Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.